Metall. And then knife is the same word for iron, ya'atz. So we refer to white people as ya'atz ha'atz. <laughs> it's people of the iron knife. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, the, I'm trying to think of a translation in Gitsan. Uh, a, a folk um, with yokun. Uh, now that you mentioned something that you eat with, with yokun, I don't think we uh, virtually had. Well, we didn't uh, have any. We didn't have chopsticks we, we just, either. <laughs> and, and with chopsticks, uh, yeah, I guess so. Even though some people say we came across the Bering Straits, but they, <laughs> we, we never had chopsticks. <laughs> you know, so, and then our word, our word for spoon is slogwal. And there was a man at home, his name was slogwal uh, hot, uh, which would translate to father of a spoon. But... I think he was one of the ones that used to make the spoon from the mountain goat oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. horns. For the feasts. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I used to wonder, how did they bend them? They must have steamed them. Well, it, it, I, the process sounds like uh, making a bent box. I, I'm not sure. I'll, ha- I'll have to ask my uh, brother Bobby. He, he knows all the... Uh, Robert Bruce Jackson is RBJ. He 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 makes their beautiful jewelry and that. Mm-hmm. Um, a spoon. Um, oh, gee. When when we when we have our our earrings, it's a silver spoon, and they're given to the princesses uh, in the puberty rites. Uh, the spoon saying that you you don't listen to gossip, you don't pass on gossip. It it just slips off the spoon. Oh. Now I'm trying to think of our word for spoon. Now that you mentioned it, would.
Hi, tonight on the Arts Report, we have director Christy Garland talking about her film The Bastard Sings the Sweetest Song, which is screening at the Vancouver Latin Film Festival. Dr. Marv Westwood talks about the upcoming film In Our Name, about veterans who return from military duty with PTSD. And I talked to NYC comedian Todd Berry about Miami, restaurants, and Chevy Chase. Stay tuned. Hi, everybody. I'm Sarah Lapsley. Welcome to the Arts Report for September 4th, 2013. I'm your host for tonight. School is back. UBC is a zoo. Um, I decided, like, you know, I'm still on a high from last time I was here with Megan and James, and we just had this sort of party in the studio talking about gay porn. And I decided, you know what, I'm putting too much work into this, writing all these scripts. I'm just going to wing it. So tonight, I'm totally winging it. I just have a few points, like parking. I just have that written down because last year at this time, I parked in the first week of school and I had some outstanding parking tickets. And when I came back, my car was gone and I thought it had been stolen and I was crying. But no, it had been towed by UBC, who, warning, does a sweep of the campus the first week of school and tows cars that have outstanding parking tickets. Um, and they impound your car and won't let you take it until you pay all your parking tickets plus a, a you know penalty. Um, so I was very angry when this happened to me, and I was like, well, what if I just leave my car here? Like I was so mad to punish them, I'm going to leave my car there. And they're like, well, you know, some other student left their car here for a year. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'll just pay it. But um, it was a lot of money because I had a lot of parking tickets. Now I have one outstanding parking ticket. And I was like, oh, I'll take the bus to school today because what if, you know, what if they sweep and take my car? But then in the end, I was just like, oh, I'll, I'll take a chance. So when this is over at six, I'm hopefully my car is still going to be there. Um, but there's lots going on, tons going on at CITR. Everybody's working so hard. Um, and there's a lot of live broadcasts, but uh, the first thing that's been happening is live at lunch. So the first one was today, Dead Ghosts uh, played. So they've got a stage set up outside the Student Union building, and bands are playing at lunch. So today was Dead Ghosts. They're really hot, young, hot, kind of garage rockers, um, Velvet Underground-y kind of meets, like the Gruesomes or something. Uh, and they're going to Europe on tour. And I was like, man, they're all going to get really lucky on tour in Europe. So have fun, Dead Ghosts. This Thursday, I guess that's tomorrow, The Oz. They're a really hot girl band. Friday, September 6th, Christy Lane Sinclair. Monday, September 9th, Jay Arner. I introduced them at the uh, Victory Square block party. They're cool Mint Records artists. S Tuesday, September 10th, Praying for Greater Portland. That's a band. Praying for Greater Portland. Wednesday, September 11th, lie, but there's an accent on the E, so I don't know how to pronounce that. Thursday, September 12th, sleuth. Friday, September 13th, hooves. So yeah, come out to the North Sub Plaza and enjoy bands. And you can buy merch from CITR and sign up to do things here at CITR. We're having a big volunteer drive. Open house tomorrow, 12 to 5, so come into the station. Um, so yeah, I've got lots to talk about today, lots of interviews. Um, the Stanford Marshmallow, there's Dan, hi Dan, a marshmallow experiment. I think about this often. So there were some famous experiments that came out of Stanford. This one was in the 60s, uh, and I was reading about it today. So they took a children and they observed them and they said, okay, kids, you you have a mark they put a marshmallow in front of each child and said okay we're gonna leave the room um, if you wait until we come back into the room you can have two marshmallows but if you choose to eat the marshmallow you have now then you don't get two you just get one now or if you just stay and like refrain from the marshmallow until we come back then you get two so about half the kids just ate the marshmallow in front of them. They could not wait. And the other half just were, you know, they held back. 
and they waited for the researchers to return, and then they got the reward of two marshmallows. And then they followed these kids for like 20, 30 years and discovered that those who um, waited and, and won the two marshmallows had better outcomes in life, like they earned more money, they were more educated, more together. Um, and so I often think about this because I know I'm the kid that would have just eaten the marshmallow like I would not have been able to wait. Um, and this is known as delayed gratification. So if you can delay gratification, um, things supposedly go smoother for you in life. Um, they've repli- replicated the experiment a few times, but actually I just found out reading about it today that um, they only did this experiment on 16 children. Um, that's not a good sample size. So we can't say in any way that delayed gratification necessarily leads to better outcomes, although I suppose it's common sense. What I'm getting at is... Todd Berry is coming to Vancouver September 23rd tell me you know who Todd Berry is because you should because he's amazing and it's very kind of him to come to Vancouver because not everybody does so I could have deferred the Todd Berry interview till the 18th I'm on again but I just couldn't wait he was available this week and I was just like you know I just want to play it today and not only do I want to play it today instead of on the 18th I want to play it right now at the top of the show. Like, I can't wait. I'm just going to blow my load, top of the show. I don't know how this unscripted thing is going because it's just rambling, manic rambling. I love Todd. I was laughing because of his tweet from December 30th, 2010. His goal for the new year, 2011, get more goth chicks to shower at my place. And that's funny because I've recently become goth, um, you know, I'm not feeling it yet, but I'm wearing black nail polish and I'm wearing a black shirt. So uh, Todd Berry's done tons of stuff. You can check out his website at toddberry.com. He's done TV, radio, podcasts, live comedy. He's got lots of stuff on YouTube. He's very, very dry. He is the driest of the dry He's very self-contained. He's not into physical comedy. He's not loud. He's not rude. He's very subtle and very, very funny. And so I was, of course, very nervous to talk to him. Um, And Todd Fancy, my best friend, was like, don't try to make a comedian laugh. Cardinal rule. And I was like, oh, like, you know, you want to be liked. You, You want to have a good interview. I tried to make him laugh. And it was it wasn't easy. I think I got like a little chuckle once or twice, Um, but mostly he made me laugh. But we had a good talk, and I'm going to play the first segment of our talk today. And we talked about um, Miami, we talked about live comedy, we talked about Chevy Chase, therapy, restaurants, Vancouver. So yeah, I'm just going to play it for you now, Todd Berry. And... uh, we'll touch base you know we talked about uh the swirl faced man and uh actually haven't i i was ill-informed and i've updated myself since our conversation um so i'll fill you in on that at the end so this is sarah lapsley on citr 101.9 fm i'm talking to todd berry from new york city do you like miami um i like miami i haven't really been there a lot the past many years oh i just love miami i'm obsessed with miami oh really yeah Yeah, i was thinking i should go down there it's really see what it's like now well like i was there for a conference in june and you're like lying by the pool and these girls in bikinis with evian water like spray you with evian water and oh really things like that happen it's it's like paradise but yeah no i just (laughs) I just really like it, and I don't leave Vancouver much, so I'm kind of starved for. But you like to travel, it seems like. Yeah, I travel um, maybe like four months out of the year. So for work or and for just life experience? Uh, um, lately I've been, well, mainly for work, and sometimes I'll try to uh, squeeze in pleasure mm-hmm. or add a day or two to a city I've never been to or something like that. Yeah, I thought it was, I was just sort of watching a few clips in preparation to talking to you, and I liked your joke about the Thailand, going to Thailand, and everyone's suspicious. Oh, like, 
That's yeah, so true. I, I would like to go there. Oh, you haven't been there? Yeah. But, like, yeah, if a 40-something man goes to Thailand by himself. Yeah, it doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. But And you were talking about the swirly-faced guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's from Vancouver, actually, which is funny. They brought him back. Oh, really? Yeah, they brought him back from Thailand to Vancouver, where I believe he's incarcerated. But there was something oh, in the news about him recently, like he kind of got out or, yeah. But, yeah, he'll be gone for a while, I guess. But, um, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. We like it that way. But so you studied English at the University, University of Florida. University of Florida, yeah. So, was there yeah. any particular, like, era that you liked or type of literature? No, I kind of just, honestly, I just picked a major that I didn't mind. And, uh, I kind of just knew, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I just picked a major. But I was a terrible student. Yeah. Is, is the the short attention span thing? I think I. I mean, I've never been diagnosed, but I think that. Uh, I think I. I know everyone says they have that, but I think I really might have it. Yeah. But well, it's I don't know. a lot of comedians have it. Yeah, it seems to be pretty common. I think in creative types, you know. But so when you come to Vancouver, you're doing a, something slightly different, like not the right. I'm doing something called. Uh, crowd works for which i did once in january as well where i just i mean have you seen comedians live have i seen comedians live uh yeah some people haven't i don't think i actually have like no one good no one no one good But you've been to a comedy show honestly i my memory isn't great but i I don't know if i even have like maybe you know some local guy opening for a band or something i know isn't that i'm I'm 41 years old too and you're you're doing a story on comedy, <laughs> but uh, I feel exposed. But it doesn't really matter. It's uh, you can edit that out. <laughs> the um, basically the sometimes the crowd a comedian will banter with the audience, just talk to them, talk to audience members, and, uh, interact with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, usually in my show I do a little of that, and then do a lot of jokes, prepared material. But on this tour, I'm doing all. Uh, crowd work that's the name yeah so i guess there'd so be like uh yeah it's gonna be like whatever long however long the show is it's just gonna be me talking to the crowd and so it could go i guess either crowd. way like it could go yeah, well it could go badly yeah. like well all shows could go either way but this one has i guess an added risk <laughs> depending on uh, yeah so but on, are there uh, different themes like you'll try to draw out from people no, I kind of just try to. There's, I have found that there are um, a nice amount of, excuse <clears> me, <throat> interesting people. So, um, I usually, uh, and it's it's worked out. Like the last tour, I did like seven shows, I think, and it worked out pretty nice. Mm-hmm. So keeps it interesting for you, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's scary. It's it's half scary and half like you're calm because you don't have anything to prepare but then when you think about what you're about to do you're like oh man i'd rather have something (laughs) what i'm about to do but when it works then it's kind of fun and i think people will for the most part yeah uh, have liked it Uh, one thing i like that you talk about is that you eat out every meal at restaurants yeah i eat out every meal at restaurants too and I know it can All be, right. like, burdensome at times. Like, where should I go? Oh, my God. You know, you go to your usual yeah. place and it's busy. So maybe tell me a bit more about how that is for you, like, in New York or... Uh, well, I live in New York and I live, you know, I live... There's 10 restaurants within 100 yards of my apartment. Probably more than that. So I, I don't have... I mean, it's... Sometimes, I mean, I eat alone quite a bit. Now, you don't always want to do that, but um, I'm pretty used to doing that. Mm-hmm. I like eating alone. Like, yeah. When you're a girl, it's like a little yeah. more obvious, but, or people, you know, but you just read or write or whatever, text people. Yeah. And also in big cities, like, I imagine it's a slam. In Vancouver, there's people eating alone all over the place. So you go to a fancy restaurant, see someone eating alone. Yeah, Vancouver has good restaurants. So I know, you'll have I've to try there. some. Oh yeah, so you were here and 
the mid two thousands. What what did you what do you think of Vancouver? Um, I've been there. I guess like six times. I did that uh, that um, that comedy festival. I liked it. I liked the city, and I'd like to. Uh, I still don't feel like I know it inside and out by any stretch. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I do like it. I can't say anything really bad about it. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's not that fun, but there's some, you know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's the no fun uh, city, it's, apparently. It's not fun, really? Well, do, I don't know. Fun? I don't know. I don't like Toronto, but, well, I don't know. It's oh, fine. Like it's Toronto. okay. Yeah. Well, I'm from out there. I don't know. It's sort of New York's L.A. kind of difference, you know? We're more outdoorsy, health conscious. I don't know. Yeah. Who cares? Um, what? Oh, one thing you said I I thought was funny was you went to a therapist in New York and it was four hundred dollars an hour. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, it was. Wow, because I'm a no, therapist. Back to many. Oh, you are. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm going to graduate in in December and be a therapist. And I was like, well, if I lived there, I could work for one hour a day, and then just yeah, you could, shop the yeah, rest of the day. You could do. Yeah, but you would get intoxicated by the money, and you'd be like, well, what if I do four of these? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but still, that's insane. That is criminal, as far as I'm yeah, concerned. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't do that very well. I also sort of watched this roast. You did the Chevy Chase roast. Uh-huh. Is that uh-huh. the only roast that you've done? I have. It's the only one I've done, and I, I really want to do another one. Like, but hopefully they'll let me do another one. Like, I noticed he was wearing sunglasses, at least at some point, you know, and I thought, does that mean he's kind of thin-skinned, like he has to wear the sunglasses? Uh, yeah, he wasn't, uh, I don't think he was quite enjoying it that much. No, that was the sense I got. I mean, you have to be gracious about it. You're getting roasted. Yeah, you kind of, you know what it's about. I mean, you know what a, he knows what a roast is, but I don't know. It was it was a weird night, but it was an interesting night. Mm-hmm. And so how did it... Like, because I guess comedy is sort of partially making fun of people. But you, I mean, I think you kind of are very, like, you don't overtly do that. You sort of lay it out and let people draw their own conclusions, I think. But how did it feel to have to kind of make fun of him while he was sitting there? And Well, I enjoyed writing the jokes. And it was, uh, and, you know, he was fine to me. Like, he, he, he seemed to even compliment me at some point. But. It was just, it was just, I'd never done a, I, I don't think I'd ever done, well, I definitely didn't do a televised roast before. And so it was, it was fun to come up with those jokes and be a part of something that, that not everyone is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it was, you know, it was a little surreal, you know, roasting someone you haven't even met until after you're done roasting them. Right. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, I watched a few different ones after that just to see what they were like. And yeah, they're all slightly um, awkward. Yeah. But yeah, I'd watched the Gene Simmons one. That was horrible. I had oh, to really? That, I had to I turn that off. Sorry? I didn't know they roasted him. Yeah. I didn't know they roasted him. But it was like he sort of orchestrated it. It was this hideous sort of, ugh. Oh, yeah. You know. Everyone's probably too afraid to insult him. <laughs> so um, you were in the New Pornographer's video moves you had a cameo it's sort of the record store guy oh yeah i forgot about that yeah so you, yes i do you must like them the new pornography yeah they're friends with i'm friends with those guys yeah which is why i did a cameo in a music video yes i uh instead <laughs> of the lead right but <laughs> i uh, the other night that my friend directed it tom sharpling yes i've guy. heard you on the best show and, okay. uh, yeah, and the new pornographers speak highly of you. Todd Fancy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, Todd Fancy's like, oh, he's very handsome, Todd Berry. So. Handsome? They all said that? Uh, Todd Fancy said you were handsome. Oh, Todd Fancy? Okay. Yeah.
Hi, my name's Matthew. When I first got back from a military tour in Afghanistan, any time I heard a siren or even a car alarm, I'd lose it completely. I would turn into a wild man, screaming, waving my arms. People would yell at me, shut up you crazy, get a job, would ya? Well, I didn't go out and get a job. I got help instead. Now, I'm in a clean and safe apartment. I have friends and helpers who understand me. I landed a decent job, but I gotta admit, I still don't like car alarms or sirens. I used to think mental illness was a death sentence. I got life instead. This message was produced by Columbian Center Society and Radio Malaspina in British Columbia. SpongeBob! You're wasting me precious carbon dioxide! I'm pumping it into the atmosphere, boy! Thanks to global warming, the temperature will soon go through the roof, and then we'll have an endless summer. Why do you want an endless summer, Mr. Krabs? So I can open my latest money-making venture, the Krusty Pool! Ooh, the endless summer does sound fun. And profitable. Fun and profitable! Big business does it again! Unfortunately, for those of us who aren't talking sponges, climate change isn't quite as fun. Luckily, there are many easy ways for students to conserve energy. If chargers for cell phones, cameras, and laptops are left plugged in, they continue to draw electricity even when not connected to the device. This phantom load can be avoided by unplugging electronics and chargers after use. A more convenient option is to hook electronics up to a power bar, which can be switched off after use. For more energy-saving tips, go to www.bchydro.com. This message brought to you by BC Hydro and CITR 101.9 FM, Vancouver. Hi, we're back. This is Sarah Lapsley on the Arts Report for September 4th, 2013. So that was my interview with Todd Berry, and then I played Moves by the New Pornographers and Todd at a cameo in that uh, playing the record store guy who's sort of inundated with people trying to buy moves by the new pornographers. So you can watch that video. I don't know if I recommend it. The last few seconds will probably send you into a downward spiral of lust. Um, anyways, I did talk to Todd at the beginning of that interview about the swirl face man because he made a joke about that guy. Um, who was actually a Vancouverite who was sexually abusing people. It's not really funny, but actually Todd Berry sort of handled it well in in the routine that I saw anyway. But I told Todd in the interview that the swirl face man was safely incarcerated 
here in British Columbia, but that's not the case, actually. He served his time in Asia, then was brought back to Vancouver and placed on an 18-month kind of peace bond or probation order, um, which prohibited him from uh, using the internet. But he actually lives in downtown Vancouver, and uh, he recently breached his probation order um, and was found with a laptop, which had internet. Um, But he's not incarcerated because he hasn't actually been caught doing anything here. So I'm sorry to misinform Todd Todd Berry, and it's disheartening to know that the swirl-faced man is out there. So be vigilant. Um, There's people out there that are troubled in the extreme. So I want to talk next about the Frames of Mind Film Festival. Now, I often talk about the Frames of Mind Film Festival because I'm into psychology, I'm into mental health. Um, And the Frames of Mind Film series is put on by the uh, Department of Psychiatry at at the Pacific Cinematheque Theatre. Once a month, they have a mental health-related film, and they're often very, very good. And the one coming up, um, it's on September 18th, two weeks from tonight. It's called In Our Name. And it's a British film starring one of the women from Downton Abbey, Joanne Froggett. Um, And it looks like high drama. She's a female veteran that comes back and goes through a lot of um, issues. So I'm definitely going to that. And uh, Dr. Marv Westwood, who is my thesis supervisor is going to be facilitating the discussion after the film so I interviewed Marv today Um, we didn't have the best connection on the uh, cell phone that he was talking on but um, Marv is a jewel he has helped so many people he's been here at the University of British Columbia for 30 years he's a full professor Um, he was given a gold medal by the Queen in 2002 for his service He's helped so many veterans and also regular folks. He's sort of um, one of the world's greatest experts in group therapy and trauma repair. And he's recently been funded um, by the Veterans Affairs to the tune of over a million dollars to expand his program across the country. And he talks a little bit about the program, I think, at the end. Um, But um, basically, they provide group therapy to veterans to help them tell their story. They reenact their stories in these groups and process some of the traumatic events that they've been through. Um, but I'm just going to play my interview with Marv, um, and then I'll just remind you again the details of the film. Um, because, you know, Marv is a very special guy, and if you have a chance to go see the film, I think you'll really like it, and I think you'll really get a lot out of the discussion afterwards. So here he is, Dr. Marv Westwood. Just interested, you know, we all hear about PTSD, but what does that really look like, you know, in a day-to-day example of someone who has PTSD? Well, the thing that, uh, but I always, first off, I want to say that I would even probably not even talk about PTSD. I'd talk about anybody who's in the military service can be exposed to and experience what I would call an acute uh, traumatic uh, response, whether it's diagnosis PTSD or not, and equally are legitimate because it can be handicapping or debilitating in their reentry back into um, their home culture. So I'm going to... I, I want to say that the normal behavior would be she would be upon return, most vets, when they upon return, uh, well, how it looks is the relational connection with family and partners has changed because they, they have become hypervigilant, they're probably hyper alert, and elevated anxiety, and notion of trust and safety are damaged, and so partners not understanding that can misinterpret somehow or other that that person doesn't care for them as much. Yeah, so they come back to a different world, like the regular life seems foreign suddenly. Yes, they come back to a regular world because the world that they're in is not a regular, not a normal world. But remember their their reactions, their reactions when they come back in are normal reactions to an abnormal work experience. Mm-hmm. So do you think women veterans might face some specific issues that male veterans wouldn't? Yes, I think women veterans, women veterans do uh, potentially face uh, 
the same the same issues, the core issues, but there's some additional ones that they I think they switch this film may directly or indirectly address, and that is the um, there's as women serving in the military because they're minority. Some of their traumas, relational traumas, come from the their gender and the treatment by some by some of the males in the group um, can be relationally really distressing for them. And some of the women feel they have to prove themselves uh, and, be, and withstand and be equal to, et cetera, et cetera. And then if there's sexual uh, kind of behavior or advances on them, um, often they feel very powerless um, because there's really very few uh, relative appeals for them. So you could, you could actually, a woman vet coming back can have the usual trauma related to military service plus the uh, kind of the sexual uh, including up to a sexual assault or intimidation or just pestering by males which is very diminishing and demoralizing. Right so in addition to what they might see or have to do over there they might be sexually harassed or assaulted within, or... within, within their own cohort the very group is supposed to protect them. Right. So, yeah, and they don't get as much help is my feeling as, as well because the help is targeted more towards male veterans, or what would you say about that? I don't think they, they don't get the help because it's often um, trauma, uh, traumas related to sexual harassment and so on aren't taken as seriously as war-related injuries. Also, it's, um, there's a lot of shame associated with reporting that kind of a trauma, unlike the traumas they would see in being involved in seeing genocide or having life-threatening events. And uh, so, so we notice more isolation and secretiveness. So asking for help could be seen as a failure for, for women. And asking for help can be seen as a failure for yes, men, for men as well. Yes, well, that, that's one of the things about the military. Because you're supposed to be self-sufficient and fucking fit, and so to ask for any help, regardless of what the source of your own uh, kind of acute uh, threat to your sense of self or your own light presence is not on, not reinforced. Mm -hmm. So what are the risks of a veteran sort of coming back and living untreated or not receiving any help? Uh, the risks of... Uh, of veterans, is, and we'll see in related to the film, the risks of uh, being, lack of treatment is that there's a spiral effect and a cascading effect. If you don't get treatment, the symptoms, if the symptoms re remit, that is, a lot of people are exposed to bad stuff, and three months uh, upon returning home, uh, they may be back to normal fun functioning, but that many of them, that doesn't happen. And so the risks are normally hypervigilance, a lack of focus and attention, uh, the tendency to isolate, which then could lead to medicating um, as a way to reduce the pain they're experiencing. And in the worst case, if they don't get help, they, with isolation comes depression. With depression, it's been highly correlated with suicide. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the unfortunate path that many people untreated can get into. So isolation may take them away from their family and their partners and friends. They don't have to necessarily move to the addictions or to a suicidality. Yeah. But regardless of that, just isolating from a social unit is another is a, is a complication of another trauma, a relational trauma occurred. Hi, we're back. That was Dr. Marv Westwood talking about the issues that veterans face coming back um, from a tour of duty. And I imagine if we continue to be involved in Syria, although I know nothing about that, um, it's going to be even more of an issue in the years to come. And so Marv will be at the Frames of Mind film series on September 18th um, at the post-movie discussion at the Pacific Cinematheque, and the film is In Our Name. It's a British film starring Jane Frogat from Downton Abbey. 
Um, and it's the first British film to deal with the issue of post-traumatic stress disorder from the perspective of a female soldier. Um, and it looks really good. The trailer's online. I'm just going to play a song by, um, I'm a student of Marv's, by another student of Marv's. Carson Kit Kavari. Now he does this sort of pop stuff and I like this song, but he also is known as a kind of like rapper, spoken word, hip hop guy. And he's like me, kind of a tightly wound counselor, researcher by day and rocker by night. So I'm just going to play his song. It's called Snowflake. I like he talks about Scorpio kisses. And after that, we'll come back and talk about the Vancouver Latin Film Festival, which I attended this week. When it's cold outside, I wake up looking through window pane. Right here next to me Well, the wood stove isn't burning But I'm warm, I awake Wednesday from 1 to 2 on The Shakespeare Show with your host Dan Shakespeare playing rare gems from the 20s to the 70s. When I pass, she UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take home. 
If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. Hi, we're back. This is Sarah Lapsley on CITR 101.9 FM. That was Carson Kit Kavari with his song Snowflake. And now I will talk to you about the Vancouver Latin Film Festival. Now, it is running 30th of August to September 8th, so you still have a few more days. I went to see a film on Monday night called Choco, and I really only chose it because the director's name was Johnny Hendricks, and it was a Monday night, which was a good night for me to go. Um, but... And also the woman, the uh, heroine of the film, worked as a miner, and I'm into mining. Um, and so it was really interesting to see, you know, to step out into what life is like in Colombia. And it's very, very poor, and life is very hard. And you get the sense of this terrible oppression um, that everyone lives under, but in particular this woman she's married to. Some things are universal. She's married to a total douche drunk guy who beats her up um, and she's trying to raise her kids and he doesn't work so she has to go to the mines and the guy who owns the mine is like really horrible and rips her off and fires her um, and so the story sort of revolves around she's trying to earn money her she has this beautiful daughter and they're so poor they you know they have like a tiny cup of soup to eat a day and you just realize oh my god like how uh, you know the consumerism that we live in is just so sick puts it in perspective um but her daughter wants a birthday cake and they don't have money for a birthday cake and she's trying to earn it eventually she just sleeps with the guy who owns the cake store um after she get after her husband beats her up sort of in revenge and also to get the cake but um it's quite traumatic and touching and even though they live in just this abject poverty they live in this beautiful tropical rainforest and by this river. And so it's sort of juxtaposed with this, you know, horrible living conditions with this incredible natural beauty. Um, and the acting was wonderful. It was really good. Um, and it has this sort of shocking surprise ending. So I really recommend it. Choco. And it is September. It is playing again, 7th of September, 2013 at 9.15 p.m. Um, you have to check the site for details because there's different venues. I went to see it at the Cinematheque. The popcorn was horrible. Like, this is a real draw for me. I have to go out to these films. And I'm like, well, I can have popcorn for dinner. Um, and, the, you know, the popcorn was really bad. At the Van City Theater, the popcorn's really good when I went to the Big Star um, documentary. But uh, anyways, you can check out the Latin Film Festival at www.vlaff.org. Now, I had an opportunity to talk to one of the directors of another film um, that's playing, and it's called The Bastard Sings the Sweetest Song. And the director of the film is Christy Garland. And um, man, like, I, was, she was just, I did all these interviews today. It's kind of a frustrating day. You know, no one has a landline anymore. Um, and uh, so I wasn't sure what to expect. And she just blew me away. She's like so smart. You know, sometimes you're just like, whoa, I'm just not going to say anything. She's super smart. Um, makes a lot of, she's a full-time documentary filmmaker. I didn't even, I couldn't even tell from the trailer that um, The Bastard Sings the Sweetest Song was a documentary. Uh, it looks like super interesting. I can't wait to see it. And it will be uh, playing at, it looks like 5.15, 3P. No, I can't tell from this webpage, 3 o'clock or 5.15 on September 7th. Um, but here she is, Christy Garland. She's a Toronto documentary filmmaker talking about her film, The Bastard Sings the Sweetest Song. Well, it's um, the film takes place in Georgetown, Guyana, which is in South America. And it is the story of a mother and a son, um, a man named uh, who calls himself Muscle, and his 74-year-old Mary who is um, an alcoholic, but also an incredibly charming, brilliant woman who um, was a poet as well. And what the film begins at this moment when um, Muscle decides that the only way to protect her from her drinking problem, 
because she has a she has a habit of um, and she's lonely, like a lot of senior citizens, and she's got a lot of really um, you know horrible things that have happened in her past. So she, um, in order to escape those problems, she has sort of a drinking habit. And what she does is she'll sometimes go out on the road and wander and beg for money and then buy um, what they call high wine there and, uh, and get drunk and fall down. So he's really worried about her personal safety and uh, decides at the time the film starts to um, keep her locked up in the back of the house in order to sort of keep her from wandering around. And that's sort of, in a way, what the film begins with. Um, and it sounds very brutal, but in the context of the film, it's an act of love. And uh, we get to know both Muscle and Mary and, and the events in their past that have sort of brought them to this crisis point. So, did, so did you film it in Guyana? Yes, in Georgetown. And and how did you find the actors? Like, what drew you to that area? Well, first of all, I should point out that um, this is a documentary. It, it happened. Oh, it happened. This, Sorry. Yeah, this I, is actually, it's, it's a documentary, so it's completely real events. I was, what I had brought, um, there's a Canadian periodical called The Walrus. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a short little abstract in there that I read one day about these, this pastime that the men have in Guyana, in Georgetown, where they... Um, they race songbirds. They all have a lot of the men in Georgetown in, in the early mornings. You can see them carrying these little cages with little birds in them. And what they do is they actually compete them. And, and they have these things like they're like songbird fights, which sounds really brutal. But the fascinating thing is that they bet their cars, they bet thousands of dollars, and they compete them to see whose bird sings the sweetest song, like the, the, a certain kind of musical phrase. And the first bird to sing it 50 times is the winner. And they call those birds bastards. So I thought that was really interesting. I went down to Guyana because I was interested in making some kind of film about captivity. I was exploring the idea of that thematically. And that's where I met Muscle. He was the ringleader of this sort of bastard racing, they call it. And um, he invited me back to his house um, to because he has a cockfighting ring. He operates a cockfighting ring in his yard. And that's when I um, went back to uh, see a cockfight that, or film a cockfight, and somebody was calling him from the back of the house, and that's when I realized that he had his mother locked up. Mary was in the back of the house, and she was sort of locked in a room. And that's when the whole idea of, you know, the whole film about captivity kind of got, became a very personal story between Muscle and Mary. How did you feel when you realized she was captive in the house? How long had she been captive? Well, what he did, it's not like he kept, you know, he he would let her out. It was just when she was sort of in a, when she was in a mood um, to drink, when she was really persistent and really wanted to wander out on the road. Because what happens just before the, the story begins, the story starts, is that she had fallen down and ended up in the hospital and she'd hit her head. So he was just very, very worried about her. And there's no, like, AA or anything like that in, in Georgetown. So... Um, he, what he would do is when she was really, you know, really determined to, to drink, he would um, just lock her in her room at the back of the house. And then once she fell asleep or the next morning, like she would be, he would let her out. So it was just his own way of trying to keep her safe. So, of course, I was shocked. I mean, you can see it when you see the film. There's this moment when I'm with Muscle in the cockfighting ring. He's practicing. He's sort of warming up his birds for this fight. And you can tell exactly how I feel when we kind of, I follow Muscle to the back and we discover Mary. You can just sort of see it in the way the camera shoots the whole thing because it's, it is a bit shocking to see that he's got his mother locked up back there. But as the film shows, um, and as you sort of look at the past and hear them tell their own stories in their very eloquent and reflective ways, um, we come to understand that he's doing what he can for his mother and he loves her very much and, and this is just, his way of coping with this this problem of alcoholism. So yeah, it's uh, it was um, like I will say it was it was totally disturbing at first, and of course I drew my own conclusions about what kind of man Muscle was to do that to his mother, and you think Mary's just a drunk. But then what the film does is it completely unravels those initial judgments and shows you two very very heroic people who are you know lovely, wonderful people. I like, because I've seen the trailer, but I didn't pick up from that that it was a documentary. I mean, maybe I'm just kind of thick-headed, but it was just, they were so beautiful. Like, I, I got that, the way they related and the way it was sort of done 
you know, she'd be like, oh, I'm going out on the road. And the way he'd talk to her, like, it didn't, there was something lovely about it that it didn't seem like, you know, reality show type related. Oh, no. No, I'm, I'm like, I'm, um, thank you so much for that comment. I mean, I was really very blessed with um, Muscle and Mary because they're, they were incredibly generous and they let me into their lives with a camera and I tried very hard to make the kind of documentaries where you don't have a lot of talking heads and I you know, really love the old kind of films, direct cinema and cinema verite style documentary films that I, you know, was weaned on really, like Alan King films and Penn and Baker films where you feel like you're just, you've just been plunged right into somebody's life and you're in the middle of a situation and it just unfolds. So I tried hard to make films like that, and that's certainly what the approach was with The Bastard Sings the Sweetest Song. But I was definitely very lucky that I had two people who trusted me and were so generous um, that they just allowed me to be there with a camera. And you really sometimes can't believe that there's a camera there to record what happened um, because they were just so accommodating. And, you know, they were, they were, I was just very lucky that way. So so funny you should mention that because when I filmed screens, I've had a couple screenings um, when it had a, a theatrical release in Toronto, when people say, you know, those actors were really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I have to tell them that, you know, what happened in the story actually really happened. And it does, I won't give away the ending, but it's a very poignant and sad ending. And it's kind of funny because people really experience the film differently when they think, oh my God, those were actually real people. So, um, yeah, I feel very lucky to be able to make a film like that. And I really owe a lot of it to Mary and to Muscle. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Okay, well, I hope you do, and I look forward to meeting you if uh, we cross paths at the cinema. Yeah, and have you, um, so you live in Toronto, do you work in film there, or what's your... Yeah, I'm a documentary filmmaker full-time, so um, I do live in Toronto, but I actually, you know, lately, like with The Bastard, I was in Guyana, and right now I'm making another film in Finland, up in the Arctic Circle. And um, I'm also making a film in Israel, in the West Bank. Oh, my God. So so I like to shoot documentaries in other countries. I would love, actually, soon to shoot one in um, uh, Toronto. <laughs> so I don't have to be away all the time. But, yeah. yeah. Wow. So you're... But it is fun. It's a great way to get to know places, to, to sort of discover the people who live in different countries and tell their stories. You're a name to watch. We're back. We just have a few minutes left on the arts report on CITR 101.9 FM. That was Christy Garland talking about her film playing as part of the Vancouver Latin Film Festival. And there's still a few days left. So please do check that out um, online and see some films. I just wanted to talk about an event I'm definitely going to Thursday, September 12th. It's a fundraiser for emerge um, the writer's studio anthology so the writer's studio is an organization that supports writers based out of simon fraser university and um, they're putting together an anthology of writers and so they're raising money so they can put out this beautiful book Um, and it's a student created anthology it will feature work by all 36 writers of the writer's studio um, and so it is held at Kalasbash, which is some kind of venue, O'Car- 428 Carroll Street, Vancouver. And there'll be readers, readings by readers, writers, Betsy Warland, Wade Compton, who's really well known and very um, good, uh, Jen Curran, and a special reading by the Emerge publisher, Andrew Chesham. And there's musical guests, Leanne Dunnick and Ryan Ogg of Luck Commander. So I'm a big fan of Luck Commander and Leanne and Ryan are just playing together solo some of Luck Commander's songs and some of their own songs. Uh, So I'll definitely be going to that. You can just check out their Facebook page. Just type in Emerge Fundraiser at Kalasbash. And uh, after that, on September 12th, I'm going to head to the Biltmore to see Limb Lifter. That's Ryan Dahl's band and you might remember him from Age of Electric. Um, Limb Lifter is pretty big. He also kind of writes songs for other uh, bands. So he's a successful musician, the brother of Kurt Dahl, the drummer of the New Pornographers, who I played earlier in the show. And now Gregory McDonald, my friend uh, from Sloan, 
is playing with Limblifter too. So I'm just going to leave off with a song by Limblifter called Wake Up to the Sun. It's a great video. Um, but the Fringe Festival is coming up. The Arts Report is doing a whole bunch of stuff on the Fringe. We're doing this series of podcasts that we're going to be playing. Um, I'm doing one on feminism. Like we're taking themes and then we're seeing plays related to that theme. We're making podcasts in the style of my, my American life. That's my job, but I've n I don't even know what that means. So I guess I'll find out because I have to start work on it tomorrow. But um, there's great stuff at the Fringe coming up. And we'll have our first podcast apparently very soon um, in my inbox in the next five minutes or so. And I'm going to air it. Uh, there'll be some music until then. Um, but Megan has put together a podcast. So um, stay tuned for that. But I'm going to leave you with Lim Lifter. Wake up to the sun. Megan's back next week. I'm back on the 18th with part two of my interview with Todd Berry. Thank you so much for tuning in. It feels like it's kind of a bit of a whirlwind today. So really appreciate you listening to CITR 101.9 FM. So keep on rocking, everybody. Here we go. Lim Lifter. <laughs> Yeah.